This is the Connection Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good, good. We all look good. It's good to see you. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there, all the moms online that are, that are watching and we, we celebrate you today, we s- celebrate, I know uh, this can be a bittersweet holiday for, for some uh, who have lost their moms, but we celebrate the legacy, we celebrate the memory that we have of them, and, uh, and just remember, you know, what God is up to, um, and, and it's, an important, it's an important thing to, to celebrate, so we're, we're grateful for all you moms and grandmoms and, like Chris said, all of you, even in-law moms, right? Yeah, so how's everybody? Good? Good? Well, I'm a little bum-fuzzled this morning, I feel like. I feel like I'm, I'm still shaking off cobwebs for some reason. Maybe it was too much... Uh, Diesel fumes from yesterday, um, playing on the bobcat. But you know, it's it's a lot of fun. And like Jim said, we really appreciate all of you who came out and helped with that and uh, got some big projects done. So we are making progress. Always making progress, right? Always moving forward. Today we're gonna we're gonna make progress by opening up a new series. And this series, as I said last week, uh, we really kicked off this series by ending the last series. We did a series called Dominoes about small things that lead to big results, knocking down those dominoes and how they lead to bigger and bigger things. And the, and the last one that we talked about was a life, a, a, a power-filled Christian life. Because the truth is, a Christian life that's not filled with power is not the Christian life that Jesus died for. It's not the Christian life that God uh, intends for us. And, and so what I want to do with this series is I want to focus in on what that means to live a power-filled Christian life. And so um, the point that I want to get to today is, is this, being aware of and intentional about guarding God's presence in your life is key to your power-filled Christian life. Being intentional, being, being aware of, just knowing that it's there, knowing that it's available, and then being intentional about it, being focused on it, staying plugged into it, recognizing it, and guarding uh, about guarding God's presence. Protecting God's presence. You know, and we protect time, right? When we want to do something, when we want to, uh, when we have something that is very high value to us, we will protect that time that we have to be able to do that thing because we, uh, you know, we say no to other things. We, we say, I, I can't do that because I have this that I have to do. We're protecting that time for the things that we value. And when we protect and guard the time that, that we have with God, or better yet, all the time, how do you protect all of your time? It's not just about saying no to something else. It's about being aware of who you're with, right? If you go to an amusement park with grandchildren, you will understand what I'm talking about. Or with your own children. You're constantly aware of, I am here with somebody, right? And I need to find them. Where are they, right? What are they under? Because you just never know where they've run off to, right? And, and so you're aware that you are not alone. It, it's, it's, you know, the illustration that I love is, is, you know, if we think of the Holy Spirit, the way he's revealed um, when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that the, the, the Spirit came down and lit on him like a dove and stayed with him. Imagine if you had a dove sitting on your shoulder that you don't want to fly away. What are you going to do? You're going to be very intentional about how you move. 
You're going to be very intentional about what you do and, and how you do it. There, right? you're, going to, you're going to move differently than you would if there were no doves sitting on your shoulder that you don't want to fly away. When we are aware of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are aware of the fact that there is someone with me that I don't want to get away from that I don't want to move away from. I, I want to stay together. And, and so guarding God's presence is key to our power-filled Christian life because our power comes from the Holy Spirit, right? That is, he is the source of our power. That the Holy Spirit is the source of the power that we live in as believers, as Christians. And here's the reason that I'm focusing on that. I want to just tell you up front, real clear, why I'm focusing on this. Why I believe God wants us to focus on this. Here's why. Because the world can get just about anything else from the world out there, right? They can get better entertainment. They can get better, uh, you know, aesthetics. They can get whatever. You just name it. They can get almost anything else out there in the world. But the one thing that you cannot get from the world is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is the one thing that the church uniquely offers through the body of Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So uh, what I would really encourage you to do is not to dismiss this and say, oh, well, we're on this, you know, super theological, you know, uh, spiritual kick right now or whatever it may be. I'm going to come back when things get practical or I'm going to check back in when things are practical. No, no. Listen, for the Christian, this is the ultimate practical thing. This is the thing that leads to the normal Christian life. Because the normal Christian life is a life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The presence of God with you all the time, wherever you are. Whatever you're doing, the presence of God, being aware of the presence of God, guarding the presence of God, being, uh, being intentional about Staying plugged in to the presence of God. I, I want to read you a verse that talks about how Tim, this is how uh, Paul, the apostle, speaks to a young pastor, a young man that he's mentoring, uh, a son in the faith, a, a, a young man that he's bringing up and preparing for ministry. Listen to what he says to him in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank God who I, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of the sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am persuaded, lives in you also." Today I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about fan what your mama gave you. Fan what your mama gave you. Now when we were preparing this, we were thinking about this, Cody said, why don't you call it shake what your mama gave you? I was like, well that don't make any sense according to the scripture, but, but we can fan what our mama gave us, right? Now I, I don't know about you, I mean my mom, happy Mother's Day mom, uh, my mom took me to church when I was young. She, she raised me up in the way that I should go, right? She, she exposed me to those things. Like the craziest thing that I've ever heard parents say is I'm going to let my, my child grow up and decide for themselves who they're gonna, what they're going to do, who, what they're going to believe. Like, don't ever say that to me because my head will explode and you'll have brains all over you. Because, I mean, a little bit of brains, but... What? Like, you don't let your kid grow up and decide whether 2 plus 2 is 4, right? No, because you believe that 2 plus 2 is 4 is truth. If you believe that what we believe as Christians is truth, then why would you let your kid grow up and decide on an error? Decide on something that is wrong. Decide on something that is going to lead them away from the, the, the God that created and sustains them and that saved them and is, is looking forward to bringing them home. We don't let our kids grow up and decide what they want to believe. We grow, we grow our children up and teach them the truth. 
and we impart to them the faith that we have in us. The faith that is in you is the faith that your children will inherit. Come on. It's going to happen. You, you, you can pass that on. And the, the, one of the things that we've lost in the, in the church is the weirdness. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've lost the weirdness because we've tried to make church so consumer-friendly that, that we don't make anybody feel weird anymore. The truth is, the weirdness is what we have to offer right? It's the weirdness, it's the strangeness from the world that actually makes it worth coming to church. Like, that's the reason we come. You, you, go, you, don't, go to a, you don't go to Hershey Park because all the rides are nice and level and smooth, right? No, no. You go to Hershey Park because it sends you way up there and then it drops your rear end right on down to the ground. And you're like, whoa! Why? Why would you do that, right? Well, listen, that's, that's what the church has to offer. The church has to offer something that is weird to the world, that is strange and bizarre to the world, because we have access to something that the world cannot touch, that the world can't see, that the world can't experience. And if we don't embrace the weirdness, then what do we have? What, what are we, we have to embrace that which makes us unique, and that's Christ. It is the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is the power of God alive and well in us, operating through us and and releasing what we can't find here on earth because we are conduits to heaven. And we release what is in heaven, not what is here on earth. We're not just simply passing around what we have here on earth. We're receiving something new from somewhere else that we do not have access to here on this planet. Come on. That's what we have to offer, so embrace the weird, right? I was talking about this a few, few weeks ago, a months ago. I don't know, time is just completely lost, all meaning in my life. But I was talking about that, and we, we were talking about something, and TJ said, yeah, let's just get weird. I'm like, that just stuck with me. Yeah, that's what we have. That's, that's the thing that we enjoy. And, and so when we understand that we can fan what your mama gave you, right? Fan what was passed on to you. Who gave it to you? You know, mothers, listen, you have an incredible opportunity to pass on what is in you. And and what you're passing on is going, listen, Timothy was a world changer. Timothy was one of the one of the second generations. He, He was of the second generation to the apostles themselves he you think he didn't have an impact on the world but why did he have that impact because his grandmother loved the lord and his mother loved the lord and they passed that on down to that little boy as he grew up and as he grew up god brought this man into his life named the apostle paul and because that faith that had already been planted in him that seed that had already been planted in him paul comes in with water and fertilizer and he causes that seed to grow and timothy grows up to become one of the most powerful pastors in Asia Minor that changed the rest of the planet forever. That's the impact that you could have when you pass on what you believe. But here's the thing. You have to believe it. You you have to have faith. And faith is weird, right? Faith is strange. Like a lot of things that we do in the church, it's not a spectator sport. like, Like to watch people worship on camera right, to watch the screen, watch other people worship, it's just weird looking. I, I, like, it makes me cringe. It's like very bizarre to watch people worship because it's never meant to have been watched. It's meant to be participated in. You're meant to participate. It's not a spectator sports. It's an all-included sport. You got to get on the field. You got to be a part of it. You got to plug in and 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 be what it is. And living by faith is just that. Living by faith is not to just simply be watched. It's to be participated in. And and when we enter into that faith, when we enter into what God has given us, so in. Verse 6 of 2 Timothy 1, 
It says, for this reason, I'm, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is, on you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, what's the Apostle Paul talking about there? This fan, he said, you received your faith from your mothers, right? Your grandmother, your mother. But you receive the gift of God through the laying on of my hands. What is he talking about? He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are many ways to understand this, and I believe there are many ways that this manifests, and I'm not stuck on just one way or two ways or three. I'm, hey, God is infinite, and God can do whatever he wants to do. And, and that's why I'm not, you know, we don't have a denominational uh, decision that we have made. This is the only way that God will ever do this thing. Listen, the first time you ever say that, this is the only way God will ever do that. Turn the page on your Bible and he will do it differently than on the next page. I guarantee it. Because that's what he does. He don't, he's, not, he's not bound by our tiny little doctrinal statements or our goofy little you know, statements of whatever we think that we have decided God is constrained to. God is, uh, God is free. And, and, and God can do whatever he wants to do. He's, saying, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore, which means he's different every day. And he will do something different every single day. And he'll do it a different way. And it's our human arrogance that causes us to put God in a tiny little box and say, oh, well, in this church, this is the only way God can do that. Listen, if God wanted to, he, he could, he, I'm not going to even... You just throw in the weirdest thing you can possibly think of right now, and he could do that too. Because he's done it, right? He, he's talked to people through donkeys. He, he's pulled money out of fish's mouths. He, he's fed 5,000, 4,000 with a little loaf and a fish. He's, he's done all kinds of things that we cannot even begin to imagine that, don't, that, that make no sense whatsoever, but he just, he just does them. And, and when we embrace that, when we recognize that, then, then we can begin to understand that, wow, God is not limited by my small thinking. God is not limited by my unbelief. He can do whatever He wants to do. Now, can your unbelief prevent you from experiencing what God can do? Absolutely. Absolutely, it can prevent you from experiencing what God can do. But it doesn't prevent God from being able to do whatever he wants to do. He might just not be able to do it with you if we can't believe. It is by faith that you receive. It is by faith that you enter into the experience and the manifestation of what God has to offer to us here in the world. So he says, for this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which was given to you through the laying on of my hands. So the Apostle Paul laid his hands on this young man. And, and through that impartation, he received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when did that happen? I, I, know, where, I know one possibility where it can happen. It can happen at your baptism. Because the preacher, the pastor, or person that baptizes you lays their hands on you, prays for you, baptizes you, raises you up, and there is an impartation that happens in that moment. Acts 2.38 promises that there is an impartation that happens at that moment. In that moment, it says, be, all of you, be, uh, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive, everybody say receive, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's promised right there that that is a place where the Holy Spirit is imparted to us. I believe that we can receive the Holy Spirit, but we can quiet Him down. We can we can subdue the, if you can fan the flame, you can also subdue the flame. Come on. And, and we can subdue his flame so much so that it doesn't even seem like the fire is even there. It doesn't even seem like there's anything burning there. But listen, when we are willing to fan that flame, 
when we're willing to pour some life back into that, right? We put some wood on the fire. We blow some oxygen into the fire because that's, that's what fire lives on. When we, when we live in love, when we live in the Spirit, when we seek out God and search for Him, what are we doing? We're fanning the flame. We're fanning that flame. And, and what that does is that takes what is in you and it raises it back up into an inferno. I love that he says, fan it into flame. It might have burned all the way down to some smoldering embers. But if you give it some attention, if you give it some awareness, if you give it some intention, you can fan those embers right back up into flame where they can burn. And that's what he's talking about here. Like all others, our relationship with God requires intentional attention to keep it burning bright. This past year has been a real strange one, right, for everybody. And, and, and during this past year, there's been a lot of disconnection. There's been a lot of people that we once were with every day or many times a week that all of a sudden we didn't see for months on end. And what happened to those relationships? They didn't get stronger. Blow the punchline. They didn't get stronger unless, unless you were intentional about giving them attention. Those relationships maybe grew stronger probably grew stronger. But you had to be intentional about it because it wasn't just the routines of life that kept us coming together anymore. How many coworkers, if you've had to switch to working online instead of going into an office, how many coworkers have you just completely lost contact with? You, you just, the people that you once saw every day and talked with and had a relationship, all of a sudden you have no connection with anymore because there was no intention to show attention. When we, when we are intentional about showing attention, then that relationship will flourish. When we are unintentional about it, when we don't give it any, gar- any regard, when we don't give it any energy, it will die. This is why we want to have church every day, right? <laughs> this, is, this is why, I mean, it's, it's easy on Sunday, right? It's easy on Sunday to give God attention, what about Tuesday? What about Thursday? How hard is it on those days to give God that same amount of attention? To, to be that intentional and be that aware of your relationship with Him. Because the truth is, and I'm not saying that out of any judgment, I'm saying that just as the reality that it is. If we're not intentional about that attention, it's probably not going to happen. Because there's plenty out there in the world that's trying to distract you from it. Right? And, and when we get distracted, that word traction comes from that word. When we, are, when we have traction and we're going and we're, you know, we're moving and, and we're, we're not slipping away, we're good. But when you get distraction, what happens? You start slip sliding away, slip sliding away. Right? Sorry. Good old Garfunkel song I had to sing. What do we, we slide away. We start to slip. This world starts to pull us down. And, and it's in that pulling away that we, that we begin to lose the, the burn. <laughs> we begin to lose the energy. We begin to lose the power, right? When, when a fire starts to burn down, when a fire is raging, what can it do? It, it can move a locomotive, right? It can, you, you, when a fire is raging, you, you can move a train with it. But when that burns down, and it's just barely smoldering, there's no power there. So, so my goal here in this first sermon of this series is just to fan the flame. Fan what your mama gave you. Come on. Fan it back into flame. Because it's there that you're going to experience the power of what is, of what is there. 1 Timothy 1.7, everybody in the world ought to memorize this verse. It's a great verse. It says this, that for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful, but gives us power, love, 
and self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit God gave us, what spirit is that? His spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He is one spirit. The devil can fill you with all kinds of spirits. A spirit of hatred, a spirit of anger, a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of this, that, and the other thing. Because he is not omnipresent as God is, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes into you, he is one spirit that carries all of it with him. So when you have the one spirit, you have access to all of it. You have all of the fruit of the spirit, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. You have all of the gifts, the gifts of knowledge, the gifts of wisdom, the gifts of healing, the gifts of miracles, the gifts of serving, all those gifts that come from the Holy Spirit, they are packaged into one package and given to you through the Holy Spirit when we receive when we have received the Holy Spirit. So at your baptism, when you repented and were baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the package that has it all, right? But just like a computer program that comes with a whole bunch of stuff in it, and you download it on your computer, but you only use one, like one little tenth of what is actually there, you're not really experiencing the fullness the fullness of the power, right? You're not experiencing the fullness of what is available to you. And, and, and I think, listen, one of the things that the, the reason that the, that the world looks at the church and says, ah, they're, they're irrelevant, it's because we're trying to do what the world can do better than we can do, but we're still trying to do it because we think that's what they want. That's not what the world wants. That's not what the world needs. What the world needs is the stuff that they can't get from the world. They need the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives to come alive and well so that the devil can't have a place to stand. So that the strongholds are broken down. So that the things that come against us and, and cause us to get stuck where we are are, are released and, and torn apart. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we don't fight, we don't do battle with the, with the weapons of the world, but yet we use the weapons that have divine power, power to break down strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is that place in your life where the devil has anchored in where he has found an anchor, where he's found a place to stand. He's found a dark, shadowy corner that you're not willing to confess, not willing to repent, and not willing to let go of, and he's found that place in your life and said, I'm going to hang out right here, and at least I have a stronghold. At least I have a place to live in your life, a place to torment you from. And when we bring the Holy Spirit into our lives, when we give it all to Him and we fan those flames, you know what fanning flames does also? It raises the light level. Come on. It raises the light level. Have you ever been at a campfire and, and you got these little bitty embers still burning and you, you know, there's a whole lot of shadows going on around you. There's all these little shadowy things happening around you and, and you hear something out in the woods and you hear something in the wood line and what do you do? Well, you can fan the flame, raise the light level from that flame, and all of a sudden whatever was lurking there will run away. It'll get gone or at least it will get exposed. Right? Because that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in and enlightens your spirit. There's no more place, there's no more dark shadows for the devil to hang out in. First John says, walk in the light as he is in the light. Why? Because the devil can't deal with the light. He can't handle the light. And if he can't handle the light, he can't live in the light. If you're filled with light, he can't live in you. He can't mess with you. And that's what the Holy Spirit in our lives is all about. So we, we weren't given a spirit that causes us to be afraid and causes us to be filled with hate and causes us to have no discipline and no power and no energy and, and, and not be able to take hold of our lives. No, the spirit we have been given is the Holy Spirit, the one true God, the Spirit of God in us, the Spirit of Jesus in us that gives us and fills us with courage. Not that makes us timid, but creates courage in our lives that we can step out with power. He fills us with love, and love overtakes all of the other spirits that the enemy throws at you. 
There's no more powerful weapon that you can use against the enemy in the spiritual realm than love. Love is a destructive weapon against the enemy and what he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And self-discipline. I love the fact that self-discipline is one of the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) In other words, we receive self-discipline from the Holy Spirit. It's almost like cheating, right? (laughs) People say like, oh, you need to be self-disciplined. Okay, no problem. Holy Spirit, give me self-discipline. It's it's almost an an oxymoron. Because it's not the discipline that I conjure up in me and I white knuckle it and gritted teeth it, right? It's, it's me receiving what God is flowing from heaven. It's the self-discipline that is received from the Holy Spirit. It's really Holy Spirit discipline. But I get to be the conduit of it, just like everything else. You, you know, the, Truthfully, the love that I release into the world, it's not from me. I didn't make it. I didn't create it. I just received it. And the only reason that I'm able to love is because he first loved me. He first gave me the love so that I could share the love with others. And, and you can do that with everything else that God gives to us from heaven. So 2 Timothy verse 8, chapter 1 verse 8 says this, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. By the power of God. You see, when Paul thought of suffering, because Paul's writing from a prison, right? He's writing because of his message, he has been imprisoned. He's being taken captive, and they're trying to silence him. They're trying to shut him down. They're putting him in chains. You know, they're trying to hold him back. Some of the best writing that we have in the Bible was written from a jail cell. And, and, and it, because here's the thing, Paul said, you can lock me up. That's just my body. That's really not the dangerous part of me. That, that's really not the part of me that is going to war with this world and the enemy of it. The, the part of me that is, that is doing that is my spirit. And because my spirit is filled with, connected to the Holy Spirit, And therefore, I have flowing to me and through me the infinite, unstoppable, unquenchable fire of God that is going to come into the world and undo the works of the devil. That's what the Apostle Paul did. And so he said, I don't care if I'm hungry or well-fed. If I'm rich or poor, if I'm wet or dry, it doesn't really matter to me. I've become satisfied in all things. Why? Because I have the Spirit. Because I have the Spirit of God living in me. I have the Spirit of Christ in me. And I know who I am in Him. So you can call me a criminal, or you can call me a lunatic, or you can call me whatever you want to call me. Just don't call me late for dinner, that's all. But, all right. But he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony. Because here's my point. There is power in your testimony of God's presence in your life. There's power in your testimony. A testimony is a story about your life. It's a story about the things that have happened in your life, the things that you have experienced in your life. And when you begin to share that story with others about what God has done for you, about how God has set you free, about how God has empowered you, about the things you have seen God do around you, listen, we ought to spend the rest of our lives just trying to build a better testimony, right? What does that mean? Go do, when, when I first, when I was young, I was a teenager, hadn't really gone anywhere, never really been out of East Tennessee my whole life, hardly, and I would, I had these two friends, two older guys that were friends of mine, one of them was a World War II vet, he was in uh, the Battle of the Bulge, he was, a, he, was he drove a tank in the Battle of the Bulge. Another one was a, uh, was a Vietnam vet. He fought in Vietnam. And I just used, I used to love sitting and listening to their stories. 
to tell, just telling me what they went through, telling me what they experienced, telling me what they saw and, and what they did and all of these things. And I, and I decided right then, back when I was 18, 19 years old, I decided I'm going to join the army for one reason. Like before I went in the army, my one reason for joining the army was to collect stories so that I would have a story to tell, so that I would have some stories to tell when I got older, just like Burl and Ron did to me. What was I doing? I was building a testimony. You see, when we, as believers, we begin to build a testimony, we begin to build experiences together and, and, and do what we, what we do. I remember one time, uh, several years ago, Nick and and uh, Cody and um, Joe, that guy back there, Joe, uh, we, 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 we all went downtown, and several others went, went, went with us, maybe more that's in here went with us, but we, we went downtown, and we just, Suzanne made us these neon green shirts that said, how can I pray for you? And we, and we went downtown, and we just walked up and down the streets, and, and we just prayed for people. And we got to see people light up. And we got to, like, no single person has ever said, no, I don't want you to pray for me. I've never asked a single person that, that is in need. And I've gone and said, can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? I've never had one turn me down. I've had them say, well, I don't really believe that. But hey, if you want to, go ahead. I've had that. But I've never heard one person say, no, I don't want you to pray. Because on some deep, instinctual level, we know that prayer works. We know that it matters to connect with the Creator. And, and, you know, going and doing those things, that creates a story. And, and, and we still remember faces that we, that we prayed with right there on Market Street or right there on Philadelphia Street in York, you know, of, of people that we got to pray with because they create stories. They create a testimony. And we saw God's love being released to people in, in those moments and and. and things that God has done to us. If God has ever healed you of something, you need to share that testimony. Because what you have been given, the more you give it away, the more you're going to receive it again. Has God ever loved you? Then give that away. Because the more you do, the more you're going to experience coming right back to you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Whatever God has given you, give it away in a testimony. Give it away in a story. Share it with somebody because there is power in that story. And there is power when we hear that somebody else, I mean, this is why testimonials are so important in marketing. Because if that product worked for you, it will work for me, right? And, and so companies spend big bucks and go to great lengths to share those testimonies, to share those, those you know, experiences that other people have had because what that's going to do is cause them to say, hmm, maybe I want some of that. Maybe I need some of that. If it can do it for you, it can do it for me. And that's what we do in a testimony when we share God's love. In verse 9, he says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. Everybody say grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. I'm going to stop and talk about that for one second. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now, here's where I want to embrace some weird. Because if we, if we read this for what it actually says, it says that before time began, God had already, through Christ, given us grace. We had already received grace. How does that happen? It's because God already, in some way, we are already with God. We were already with Him. He already knew us. He already had the plan and purpose for our lives laid out before the beginning of time, before the foundation. If you hear His voice and respond, it's because it's a familiar voice that you have known since the beginning of time. That's why. Because God is not haphazardly coming into this with no plan or purpose. 
God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's known what he was doing from the beginning of time, which for him is infinitely that way, because the beginning of time is that way, and the end of time is that way. I'm not sure why, but it always has been for me. The truth is, there is no beginning or end. Two people shared with me this morning that they had loved ones pass away this week. But listen, that's not the end. That's a transition. Especially if you're a believer. If you're a believer in Christ, you, you, you haven't ended. You have really just begun. You, you, have, you have transitioned into something that is so much greater. But we get so fixated on this world and the things of this world that we start to, that we think the end all be all is just being satisfied and happy and whatever in this world when in fact this world is simply a blip on the radar of all of our eternity that we get to spend with God. And God sent us here to do one thing, to glorify him and undo the works of the devil on this planet in this plane. And then we get to return back to the spiritual plane from which we came. That'll mess with your head. That's getting weird right there. So, where I like it. Verse 10 says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He didn't say he created it. He didn't say he started it. He said he revealed it, right? He, he brought it into appearing. It's now been revealed through the appearing of Christ Jesus, which means it was already there. The grace was already there. God's plan was already there. It has already been made available to us. And it's now that we get to step into that which God already had prepared in plan for us so that we could experience it. Because here's the truth. Jesus is the embodiment of the grace we have been given. Jesus is the embodiment of that grace. Jesus is God in the flesh. God with us. The God who came for us on our behalf to demonstrate for us what it looks like to live a power-filled Christian life. The Gospels are filled with a power-filled Christian life for our demonstration, for our example. The way Jesus lived in the Gospels is the way we are meant to live here on earth now as he lived, to do what he did even greater things than those, according to John 20. He says, you will do even greater things than what I've done because I'm going to the Father and the Holy Spirit's going to come and live in you and empower every one of you to do what I've been doing and so much more. Because this is just an example. This is just a demonstration of the power. Now I want you to go live in it. I want you to go walk in it. I want you to go operate in it. I want you to go give the world what the world can't get anywhere else. Verse 11, and, this, and of this gospel, this good news, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. I could get into all three of those because there is a powerful message there, but Verse 12 says, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame. Because I know, know whom I have believed. Because I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until this day. Here's a fact. God will guard everything that you have entrusted completely to him now that don't mean let me, let me just what that means is that in the spiritual realm everything that you give to him everything that you entrust to him will be guarded, protected, preserved and saved for you when you get there <laughs> do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth that rusts away and moths and bugs come and eat and it rots 
No, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Entrust it to him. Entrust it to God and watch God protect it and save it and preserve it for you. Verse 13, what you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What is it? It is the presence of God. It is the presence of that faith in Him that we know He will never leave us nor forsake us, that He will be with us throughout everything that we do. Because here's the truth. Always be aware of an intentional about guarding God's presence in your life. Always. If you're living in a way that's pushing God's presence out, if you're living in a way that you would not live if you were aware of the fact that God is right there with you right now, then you're not guarding His presence. But if you're living in a way that says, I don't want you to fly away. I'm going to be careful how I move. I'm going to be careful what I say. I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to guard my words. I'm going to guard my thoughts because I want to keep your presence here. Have you ever been in a place where people were doing things that were making you feel very uncomfortable and you're just like, I think I'm just going to slip out the door and go on my way and go do, right? Why? Because what they were doing, how they were living in that place was making you feel uncomfortable and unwelcome. And because of it, you just wanted to get away. Are we living in a way that causes God to feel that way? May it never be so. May we live in a way that keeps God right in the center of everything that we do. That we're constantly aware of His presence and His power in our lives. And the moment that He says, hey, go do this, go do that, take care of this, drop this heaven bomb on, this, on that situation. We are ready, we are prepared, we are willing, and we are building a testimony. And if God will do it once, He'll do it again. If He did it once, it was just to show you He'll do it bigger next time. And that's the key. That's the key to a power-filled Christian life. So we want to take a minute just to celebrate communion together and as we celebrate this communion we have to remember that this is the reason what is represented by this little wafer and this little cup of juice is the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity in all of its history and that is that what once was broken what, what, that relationship that was once ripped apart has now been restored. The connection has been remade. And because of that, our spirit gets to connect with God's spirit. And God's spirit comes into us and flows through us because of his body that was broken and given for you. We get to now receive the grace it was embodied by Jesus Christ on the cross in the body. So I invite you to receive the body of Christ. The blood that washed down that cross from his body poured into the ground of his own creation is the blood that not only washes us clean and makes us new wineskins. Behold, all things are, when we are in Christ, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new so that we can receive the Spirit. The new wineskin that will not break because it's old and brittle and dead, but because it is alive and supple and it can receive and expand. His blood brought life into that. But it also brings a covering. 
It brings a protection and it brings a shield against those things that the world throws at us. And so when we remember his blood, we remember our cleansing and we remember our covering. Would you receive the blood of Christ? stand with me. All who are online, if you could quiet the noise or whatever it is, if you could stand just for a moment, just to be intentional. Just close your eyes in His presence. Don't let anything distract you. Just in this moment, fan that flame fan what your mama gave you. Fan what that loved one gave you. Fan what that person gave you when they told you about Jesus. When they shared that good news and that gospel with you and you received what you could only get from God. Fan it into flame. Father, we just ask right now that you would put fuel on the fire that you would cause every spirit in this place to be overwhelmed by your presence. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way and to have your will in us as we surrender to you completely. We say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Use me, build my testimony. As we are faithful to you, we know you are faithful to us. Because of that, Lord, we look forward to what you have. We look forward to what you're about to do. We're excited about the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great Sunday and happy Mother's Day, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. Without you, the work we do at Connection Christian Church wouldn't be possible. If you would like to give online, please visit c3christianchurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, take a moment and subscribe and please share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.